Hi, this is Matt Lucas, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. All right, guys, our guest today is an actor, voice actor, and editor from shows you know like The Good Housewife, Shark, The World of Winks, and there was this little-known animated series back in 2003. Maybe you saw it. Uh, it aired on Cartoon Network. It was pretty good. It was called The Clone Wars. That's right. The original animated Clone Wars uh, done by Gendy Tartakovsky back in 2003. It's called the 2D Micro Series now if you're looking for it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so who we have here today is the original voice of Anakin Skywalker. Not only from that show, but you hear him in games like mine of my favorites, Battlefront 2. Not Battlefronts, the recent ones, but Battlefront 2. That game's still a banger. Galactic Battlefront and other things. Uh, so we are very excited to have the voice of Anakin Skywalker, Matt Lucas, here with us on the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you, guys. I feel very welcome. That's actually a pretty cool little intro you gave me there. Oh, Got a little thank accolade. You. <laughs> thank you. We yeah, try to um, actually be nice. You know, the thing is, is, every time we have somebody come try. on the show, oh, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, trying, is, somebody- trying is the hard part. <laughs> Um, yeah, but every time we have somebody so far, shameless. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I was just saying that every time we have somebody come on the show, one of the things that we always try to do is is we we look back at what they're doing and and I knew that you were Anakin, the voice of Anakin from from the micro series, the 2D series, uh, and I knew that you had done a couple of the games. I didn't realize how many of the games you had voiced as Anakin, which I was like, oh wow, well that's cool. And even during yeah. the, um, the 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 Clone Wars uh, video game, which had the different, you know, the, the updated Clone Wars an- uh, Anakin, I thought it was kind of cool. You got to do that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was just kind of just kind of mentioning that because I thought it was kind of cool, and I was like, played it, played it, played it, heard him in that, 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 that. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was Star Wars. I geeked out a little bit. It okay a lot. Anyway, uh, but. <laughs> Another thing I try to do is anytime we have someone here who's even Star Wars adjacent about anything, I always like to ask them one particular question. And the reason is, uh, as we kind of uh, alluded to in pre-show, is that I'm a giant nerd and I love Star Wars. If you can't tell from behind me, most there of those no are Star alluding. Wars. There's no alluding. I try to allude. I try to make it play it off as if it's not a thing. It's totally a thing. I'm totally a nerd about it. So other than working in Star Wars, mm-hmm. Matt, what was your entry point into the fandom? Oh, wow. Well, obviously, it all goes back to you know, like everybody on their first time they saw which of episode one, two, or three. I'm sorry, uh, four, five, or six. Um, right. And and that kind of hits, you know, for pretty much everybody, I would say, uh, at some point in their life. I'm old enough to where it was, uh, you know, in the theater and this and that, and you try to take a look at it. Um, Return of the Jedi. Uh, I had already seen New Hope. I had seen Empire Strikes Back, but it was, yeah, I'm not even sure exactly how I saw him, but uh, going into uh, the theater and seeing Return of the Jedi, uh, like father and my brother and those kinds of things. And like, you know, you're already part of it a little bit, but that's really where it like hooked me. And it was, it was like, you know, such a, a cool way to, to see Luke and how he'd gone from, you know, just a, just a kid, uh, you know, I'm gonna just, at this point, grow up on, on screen in front of you and become a master. And, and that was one that was like a, a big hook for a lot of us. Um, and then fast forward to, 
when I was uh, actually in college. And, uh, and I don't go back to it. It was episode one on the re-release and everybody's got their opinions of it and this and that. Mm -hmm. But I was there in line just as early as everybody else was to try to get a ticket in costume uh, as everybody else was. And it was in uh, you know a theater that had enough people to, to, to make it, you know, it was a con at that point. It really was. It was just a reintroduction. Nobody had seen the film yet, you know, and the opinions come out uh, one way or the other. But I loved it. I thought it was a great, great way of reintroducing what I liked as a kid to, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, kids. Mm -hmm. You know, little Annie. And and it's like it's it was it did the exact same thing that even though it seems a little bit odd that the more adult version, you know, with uh, Return of the Jedi did uh, to me, it did the exact same thing, I think, to a lot of other kids. It just got us into the merch. It got us into the idea. And and it introduced us, you know, to the story and, and the characters, but giving us a different way. And and luckily for me, I, I actually latched on to young Annie. And uh, it's I, I was so enthused when I was auditioning for the part, never thinking, you know, it was going to be the case because Hayden was a little bit different, you know, as, as far as a person mm -hmm. that you would, you know, pick up, um, his cadence is his way he talks. And, um, man, I was, I was floored when I, when I, I got the role and it just shot me right back to seeing, you know, return of the Jedi or seeing episode one, I've seen everything, you know, it's, why not? I have to, it's, you know, exactly. I guess for me, I don't have to for work. I like it. I enjoy it. And it's just like, it's just how the world is with me. So That's I'm cool. not as super, you know, into all of the, uh, the, the lore and the books because I haven't read them. I might get there, but you know, it's to me, the films are the thing. Well, I'll agree. Cause that's, that's pretty much where my fandom is. I've, I know that there's a lot of people who have gone back through the books and I'm trying to get through some of the books, uh, but mm -hmm. I'm far more selective as to what books I read and, and, and why if especially if it's one of the uh more re I, I listen to some of the I, I i read by listening i'm an audible guy and uh but i found for me that it's mostly the the newer stuff like ek johnston uh wrote the ahsoka book a couple years ago and that book to me was was awesome because it tied in uh the timelines with what had happened to ahsoka between this point and this point and you know, the post order 66 and, yeah. you know, some, some of the other things, uh, I listened to a couple of, you know, I listened to one of uh, some of the Thrawn books by, uh, Timothy Zahn because, uh, you know, he was coming, Thrawn was coming back, you know, to Ahsoka series and, you know, all these other things. So I want you know, kind of making sure that I had re-cemented some of that stuff in my head, but I didn't get into the, the star Wars books when I was a kid, because I always had the, the mindset that, well, they didn't make a movie out of it. Can't be that good. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I get, I get wrong. the mentality there. Yeah, but it's like I agree that it is wrong. I think it's one of those things where it's. I mean, the stories are vast. I mean, George oh, was yeah. writing yeah. much of what he he wrote for uh, his films because he thought of them all driving. I was. Uh, I don't know if that story. I'm sure that story's out. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. he was he was just a very creative, uh, you know, writer. But he did it while he was driving around, and and those kinds of things, you know, were were visual to him, not just story wise. And and the movies came from that, you know, they came from those visuals. But he also did books. I mean, all the other stuff, mm -hmm. knowing that he didn't want them to be films. So you know, not not that they couldn't be, 
and and I'm sure that's uh, the franchise is going to keep on going. The the books are going to be uh, huge influences because of the backstory, they're the Bibles, they're the, they're the things that they keep everything kind of going and understanding and answering questions. And that's that's really what it is. But you know, some of those things don't need to be answered on film. Some of those can just stay in somebody's mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer for that. You said so, something in your answer, though, that I actually wanted to touch on before Tim gets to the next part of his yeah, question. Yeah, please, go ahead. Because you mentioned when the when the prequels came out that it was reintroducing Star Wars to kids. And that is one of the wonderful things that we've actually talked about about Star Wars is how it's made itself multi-generational. That mm-hmm. it makes sure that there's there's more story, there's more universe for the next generation. And then you can, as a parent, be like, hey, so this is the thing that I liked. But look, now there's this Star Wars content for you. It's like, huge Star Wars fan here too. My husband is as well. Our five-year-old is not quite into the movies yet. The movies are long. It's a it's a lot for a short attention span. But the new Young Jedi Adventures, mm-hmm. she loves. She has latched oh, cool. onto those like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's still a gateway into Star Wars. It's still it's still a way to get her into Star Wars. It's just here's the next here's the next little nugget for you. Like I love that they've done that. And like yeah. Lego Star Wars too. Oh, she loves. Lego no, Star Wars. absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of ways in. It's, it, it, I, I say franchise, and it is essentially, you know, a way of, uh, of looking at it. It's like, you know, there, there, there used to be the old uh, Trekkies versus uh, Star Wars and this and that. But it's, it's, it's rounded out with all the, these other things that, that get to use the story. Lego mm-hmm. is, is a great way to do it. It's putting it, you know, on its ear a little bit, but it's also, it's, it's taking the fun and, and running with it. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. one of the cool things. I mean, the video games... Beyond anything else, the video games were another way for people to interact mm-hmm. uh, with the story, you know, for themselves and not just wait for a book, not just wait for a movie that maybe they can connect with. It's like, you know, we can actually run around in Battlefront. It's like, you know, you can be a trooper. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's one of the coolest things. You can be a Jedi. You can, you can do all these mm-hmm. other things. You can use the force in ways that are, you know, the tactile things that we can have with our own hands and control it. Yeah. And and for kids and being able to connect in different ways. Uh, you know, having just an idea is only the start. And that's, that's what's kind of a fun thing. But I mean, if a five-year-old is, is connecting right now, it's, it's, it's kind of like taking a little bite. Eventually, mm-hmm. it's going to become a meal. And it's yeah. going to keep on going. And it's just the way it is. So we'll get her there. We'll get her there eventually. Eventually, yeah. she, when she tells us that Darth Vader is her favorite character, it will no longer be because of the Lego version of Darth Vader. She'll realize how fascinating of a multifaceted character he is. Not just oh, yeah. the Lego, not just the Lego like fart jokes and taco jokes, which are <laughs> which are outstanding, but they are. They are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, and Will Arnett doing all the fun things that he can for keeping that, uh, that going. So, yeah. I love that guy. He's great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, hey, Matt, just to follow up that question about your entry point into the fandom. Let me ask you this. Uh, now that being a fan and working in Star Wars, what does that universe mean to you? I mean, what? how does that being working in that universe affected you? Wow. Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, everybody's got like a different ways that they can put into it. I, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, more than anything, it's like it gave me uh, kind of a, a fun outlet at, at one point, some uh, some confirmation at others. Um, you know, there's, you can take the good with the bad when you, you see the comments is uh, comments here and there. There's, there's certain things that, uh, 
every single commodity is going to give you. And mine it definitely gave me some gratitude. Uh, at some point, I, uh, I was no longer the voice, and uh, you know it keeps going on from there. And you know, there's there's points where you're like, oh, I heard about this and this and that, but uh, but look what it gave me. You know, I'm I, I was mm-hmm. able to to play an amazing character who was you know both good and evil, and not a lot of people think of it, but I did dive into the evil side. You know, it's like I'm not, it's not the 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 voice that most people think of when they think of Darth Vader that I got to do for when I was Darth. Mm-hmm. It was it was more of a feeling, and I'm happy and grateful for having you know walked on. Uh, on that side of the dark side, it was it was kind of a, a cool thing. It was for me. It's gratitude, I guess you could say. Very cool. Awesome. I like it. So my husband John is the editor for our show, and he spends a lot of time removing Tim's foibles and gaffes, and they're they're everywhere. They mm-hmm. really are. We love Tim, but he should not be a voice actor. <laughs> I do my best to entertain you. <laughs> but according to the Wikipedia of the entertainment industry, otherwise known as IMDb. It says that you were an editor on Last Mysteries of the Titanic and The Good Wife, among other projects. Again, IMDb is not always 100% accurate, but it, it does seem as though you've had some editing experience, obviously. Yes. So what was it that got you into editing, and what do you enjoy about doing that work? Well, I would definitely say you're 100% accurate on the fact that it's not 100% accurate. Uh it's it, it, There's a couple things with IMDb that uh, you know you try to actually change, and they won't let you. Um, but, uh, I am, I am the, by trade a filmmaker. Absolutely. And, uh, I am, uh, an editor from a long time. I, I, I spend a lot of time in the cutting room, even in what I do now. I, I, I more direct, uh, uh, whether it be commercials or, or, or films and short, uh, you know, a multitude of different products and this and that, but editing always ends up being part of my process. And it's a, it's a lot of ways you can say it's the final rewrite. It's a way of getting all of the pieces and the parts that were, uh, you know, uh, in the script together and really making them sing, really getting the rhythm. It's not so far off from anything else. It's essentially uh, gathering your paints as an artist and putting together that masterpiece. And it's sort of the last touch. Um, of course, that's not the last touch. Once we do picture editing after that, then we've got, you know, the sound to mix, uh, we do the color correction or the grade and all that other things. But uh, really the story, the rhythm and the flow comes from that edit. And that's one of the nice things that I really enjoy about it. I just happened to be good at it when I was young and Phil kept going into it. It's another reason why I do mostly voice acting. And, you know, I, I'm behind the camera a lot. And uh, instead of being in front of the camera and cutting, you know, me that way sound i was always able to like sort of you know pitch and change and 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 become other people with my voice but i'm still matt i look like this you know i can i can put on a, a this or that but it's not the same when when i'm editing picture uh i prefer to have the people that you know can embody the other parts be those other parts and and, and though i love to do it myself here and there it's uh it's a different uh love um so I would say when it comes down to editing the process, I like uh, being able to take something that you thought wasn't going to work, make it work, and basically come up with uh, the solutions. Uh, one thing I would definitely say, if anybody's an editor out there, never say no, because I would say to a, suggest- a suggestion, it's simple. 
things can be told in a thousand different ways. And your idea that you have, if you say the word no, it's mean you're not trying. And just because somebody who gives me a note in editing may not know the process, may not know everything like that, doesn't mean it's a bad idea. In fact, sometimes some of the best op options come from the people who have no idea how to edit, how to do anything like that. They just come up with a random idea and you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to do this, 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 and this, and you create the, create the solution, but their idea works because why not? I mean, a film can be, you know, version beyond, version beyond version and be good until it's not, you know, or it can be saved all in the cutting room. I just love that I heard, uh, you weren't saying it, but it was a conversation between John and I. Hey, could we do this? And he's like, well, I have to do this. And he's like drawing what you just said. I got to do this, this, mm -hmm. and this. I'm like, well, what if we change this? And I, I'm starting to learn editing and I'd rather John did it. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Uh, I can audio edit. I'm not at, as good at video editing. Audio editing is a little easier for me, but um yeah, two different flavors, honestly. I mean, there's a lot of people that can do both, uh, but doesn't mean you have to be able to do both. It, it's it's kind of the nice thing about it. You will get the tricks and the, you know, all that stuff will flow. But uh, when it comes down to picture editing, um, you know, sound editing, when it comes down to even music editing, uh, once you start to delve into something, you can become very good at it just by understanding it. Uh, so once your knowledge base goes up, no matter what, you're going to get better at it. Yeah. Awesome. I just, I mean, I will occasionally be in the room and my husband's editing and I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing or how you're doing it right. or <laughs> nope, I don't get it. I'm going to walk away now. Like that's how it goes. <laughs> well, uh, let me, let me clear one thing up that, yeah, that uh, on IMDb. I, I was on last mysteries of the Titanic and I was originally an assistant editor. Uh, I, I was in there to, uh, assist a, a really good editor who was on the show. Actually, there were three at, at one point, um, but one of which also was James Cameron himself. And so I worked uh, with him as an assistant editor, but they put me into the compositing role. Um, and it was, this was a, a show where they needed a compositor and I happened to have the ability and the skills to also uh, do that at the time. And so I kind of switched out of being in the assistant role into being in the lead compositor uh, and interacting with uh, a master like, uh, as, as I called him at the time, Jim, uh, and, and seeing his story process and this and that, and he would cut, he would come in late nights. He even had a cutting room at his house. It was really close to our location. And, uh, you would just see that he loved the process too, about that edit. I mean, he's, you know, known as a writer, known as a director, known as, mm -hmm. as even, you know, a cinematographer and, and not as known as a production designer, but he was even started there, but he is a great storyteller in the cutting room as well. And it's like some of the best are just amazing in the cutting room just because they give it time. And it's kind of a fun thing. So not editor on last mysteries, even though I probably wanted to be at that point, but at the same time, yeah, at least clear that up. It was uh, so they did get one thing wrong. <laughs> It happens. Oh, I'm sure it's not the only one. We're gonna yeah. talk about some other stuff too. But I, but since then I've cut a lot of stuff. Oh my gosh, it, it's never gonna hit you know, uh, IMDb for that. But uh, yeah, fair enough. All right, Matt. Also, according to LinkedIn, now you, according to LinkedIn, you're part of a company called Unity Films as a, as a director uh, mm -hmm. for both TV and film, uh, working behind the camera. Now, according to IMDb, you haven't been in front of the camera since 2018. So there, according to IMDb, it's a span of six years. Mm -hmm. nearly so 
in that time, what lessons have you learned over the past five to six years that have made you a better actor or director? Something that would could help somebody else. It's an, I love this question. I do. I love it a lot. Um, I have been in front of the camera, uh, but I've uh, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and so I've been doing commercials over there here and there, and uh, so my my on on screen stuff also is is kind of seen uh, internationally, uh, not knowing it's me, uh, things like that. But I would say the fun thing for me in, in that I do a lot of directing, I've got kind of a gearhead you know, for when it comes down to the technical thing. So it comes down to editing. That That is very technical, but it's also an art form to me. Um, I actually started uh, in production in the role of trying to be a cinematographer. So when it came down to working on sets, I was, uh, I was huge on that. When I was young, I was uh, working with ESPN. Uh, running cables and being a camera back to finally end up being in camera for sports, things of that nature. And um, I actually got into editing because I needed to cut my own stuff, things of that nature. It was like in there. As it turns out, when I went to, uh, to university, I was trying to do sort of both the directing and cinematography at a young age because I had been working, I'd been even shooting weddings since I was 13. I'd always had a camera always. And, and it was like a filmmaker from kind of that start out. Um, being in the nuts and bolts of things, I learned quickly that if you didn't talk somebody's language as a director, it's really hard to convey your message. So I knew how to do camera stuff and I learned how to do the editing stuff. And I moved to uh, Hollywood and I started to work on sets, doing student films, this and that, as being uh, a grip in the electric department, so everything I could do. But just trying to learn people's vernacular, the common parlance of being on set and being able to convey your ideas and your vision. Now, as a director, you're not always going to get exactly what's in your head. And why should you? I mean, it's a collaborative art, so you just need to be able to get the team behind you and essentially speak in their terms and their way and come together to get the, to get the, uh, the images and to get the, the story. And I think my best advice to anybody who's trying to learn how to direct now, it's not a requirement, but I really feel you should start to understand and respect uh, and come out from somebody's idea of their job, whether that is sound, whether that is uh, grip electric. I mean, even even to driving the truck, understanding what goes into the job. I mean, the decisions are quick. A lot of times, it's like you know, as a director, when you come in on set for say a commercial, you know the product well enough. Uh, you're not the the person who developed the product. That client is there with you, but the crew has never seen this product. Maybe they are. Maybe they're the techs that have uh, set up the shots and helped you to to know how it works and all this other stuff. But for the most part. All these people just come on for the same time. And a lot of them will want to suggest stuff and be like, hey, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And some directors will just literally shut them down and be like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about because I've spent weeks with this product and I know what I'm doing and you don't. But it goes back to don't say no with the editors. Understand where they're coming from, from their job, why they thought it should be lit like this, it should move like this, it should turn like this. And as a collaborative you know, group, you'll get it together. And I would say, don't shut anybody out who's got a suggestion, but also try to put yourself in their role when they're given to you and try to speak their language back to them. And you will get a way better result 
even sometimes even faster, which is kind of nice. Long, long answer to that, uh, you know, to no, that, that question. Great but, answer. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a great answer. Yeah, and we've said this many times on, on other interviews, the, the best answers are sometimes the long answers. Because you, sometimes it's, it's in order to understand what's really trying to be said, you can't have a straight A to B. Sometimes you got to go A to D to back to B to be able to, you know, yeah. make that nice loop. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's a really good advice because I think sometimes, you know, even uh, even here with, with our show, I know that sometimes I can be a stubborn person. I try not to be. Um, shut up, Kathleen. Anyway, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, I try to make sure that I'm listening to what everybody else has to say and what their opinions are, because sometimes I have something so in, in my tunnel vision that that's all I can see and that's all I can think about. And so um, I think that's really great advice to make sure that you're you're listening to other people's perspectives and and seeing where they're coming from, because maybe they have a better way of doing it. Maybe they've got a maybe they're seeing it yeah. from something that you're just you're just missing that little bit to make that whatever it is you know, really work. Right. And and it can trigger something for you. Uh, it, it even goes back again to what we were saying about the editing, not saying no and things like that, where you've got an ability to, uh, to understand uh, the, you know, whatever it's a product, whether it's a story, if it's a script, if it's even the actors, like you don't, you can't suggest something for these actors because you don't know what I know. It could be, you know, something they're not comfortable with. It's something that uh, they don't want to go down this route or, you know, because they feel the character does this. I mean, suggesting that you have to be a filter. And, and that's going to be exactly what the voice of, you know, someone who's directing uh, is, is always going to end up being. It's why a lot of people will come to you to ask the actor to do something, you know, and it makes sense because, you know, if everybody starts shooting it out and then it's directed by committee. Um, but that filter time gives you the ability to actually process what was said, put it into the way that you know is going to work or not work for the person you're conveying that to. And a lot of times that can actually be for the client. If anybody wants to get into client work, and, and as we all kind of do, I mean, in the end, it's, uh, it is it is a business. And uh, there's people that have to pay for the bills of that, and they're, they're the client. So it's like being mm-hmm. able to understand how to convey somebody else's idea, filter that, put it into perspective, but also learn as you're doing it and go, hey, this will work because I remember we talked about this in a meeting, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also try not to offend because you're not going to work again. Right, yeah. Oh, that's a great answer, Matt. Thank you. So we we try to do as much much research as we can about our guests before they come on. And honestly, I could not find that much about you. Like you have kept your your life pretty personal, your personal life pretty private. And, you know, honestly, with as toxic as some of the Star Wars fans can be, I definitely understand that. But in a time where so many people share so much of their personal lives online, what benefits have you found to keeping a lower profile? You know, benefits, it's a, it's a tough one. I don't know that what I do every step of my, uh, you know, uh, every step of the walk, I'm basically just like, and the journey kind of winging it. But I, I definitely at a young age started to get like fan mail, which was, which was great and things of that nature and, and getting an idea of, of what arena I stepped into. Um, luckily stepped into as I keep on uh, trying to, to convey as, um, and uh, keeping a lower profile uh, has also hurt me. Um, but I would say the, the benefits of it, you know, I kind of just feel like I've got um, the creativity inside to, to, to come out when it's, when it's needed, and, and I try not to boast about it. Uh, if I put myself out so much so to where I felt like I was 
uh, rubbing somebody's face in the, in the success that I've had, I, I wouldn't feel good about it. And, and it's, I got to a pretty, pretty high level with it. And I was, I was really happy about it. And I was, you know, I, I couldn't have said anything more, but at the time social was only so, so great. And so, so big, you know, Facebook was around and uh, MySpace, all that other stuff. And, and you could have a platform. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of felt, you know, when, uh, when the series went on and, and, and actually, uh, uh, I did record as Anakin on the Clone Wars uh, uh, 3D you know, half-hour series. Um, I did six episodes, which probably nobody knows because it's never going to air, and, and that's okay. Um, there were different uh, you know, ways of going with Anakin, and in the end, Matt Lanter, you know, took off uh, from there, and then most people know um, him as as Anakin, and that, that that's fine. So, me jumping on the social and saying, "Hey," You know, I'm, uh, I'm I'm the original Annie and this and that. I'm really not. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of felt like it was the wrong position to take. That's fair. It actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, nice, nice. you'll always be Annie to me, you know, my original Annie. But I funny. appreciate that. No, and, and honestly, to be <laughs> completely honest with you, I think that sometimes it's an error because, you know, I, I might be working a lot more. Um, I, I, I do a lot of voices internationally, mostly because in, in town and this and that, it's it's harder to put yourself out. There's a lot of a lot of actors out there that have a mic, and I've, I've got a full, you know, according to you, and, and not a week goes by that I'm not on a mic. It's just, just how it is for me, but I'm not used as much and I probably would be used a lot more if I was more social about it and posted more about it and put myself out there. So it's a, it's something I should definitely consider, but again, I'm not, I'm not always going to say I'm the right, you know, I'm in the right. I always find that it's easier to let other people talk about me than for me to talk about myself. I don't like the feeling of patting myself on the back and maybe that's just the Gen X in me. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it's easier for, for somebody else to give me a little bit of praise. And I still shy mm -hmm. away from that. Even if, you know, when somebody's like, Oh, you did a really good job with this. Uh, uh, thanks. I, it's hard yeah. for me to take that. And, and even, you know, and I've had to kind of tweak that a little bit because we're a smaller podcast and trying to get out, you know, get people, to, I have to push it and I'm, I'm putting it out there on socials and I'm doing, you know, promoting it, but I don't, I, I never feel like I'm promoting myself. I always feel like I'm promoting the show, which is also difficult because I'm starting off as a, I've started doing some writing for a couple different websites and I have to promote myself as a writer. And that is difficult for me because trying to find it where I'm not going, come watch us, come listen to us. Now it's come, and now it's come read me. And I you got to do it though. I know everyone says you got to sell yourself. You got to get the stuff out there. You got to get the subscribers. You got to click, 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 click. And, and, yeah, and it's it's all for that success, and so it does make sense um, that people are going to ask you to do it. Unfortunately, and just, you know, I, I come from do. that same generation. It's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to put yourself out there, and if you've not already done it, um, I have a lot of people in my life that are actually really good at social. They're, I mean, you know, the, the borderline influencers, and they're great, and and, and you know, I respect them hundred percent. And I'd like to do some. I mean, some of my posts, they're just like the things that I, you know, I feel are are important. Um, and visually, you know, I try to put up some images and stuff like that, that I shoot because I do have that photographer, cinematographer brain that's mm -hmm. always looking at light and, and, and trying to catch uh, moments. And so I'll put that stuff up. Um, it, but it's not, not me. It's just, Hey, this is a great image. That's just yeah. what I do. Yeah. I mean, it's also part of 
I mean, as a voice actor, you're, you're behind the mic and, and, and I've worked with some amazing voice actors in, in, in my time. And, and, and I hope to continue to, to work with, uh, many others, um, like, you know, for one, uh, James Arnold Taylor, Taylor, he is mm-hmm. not what you would think when you see him and you hear him. I mean, the guy does mm-hmm. Fred Flintstone and I mean, he's a buck 20, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's Poking he, wet by the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In boots, <laughs> ski boots at that point, you know, it's just like <laughs> what can come out of a guy like that and, and everything that nature. It's like, you know, if he was to put himself out there, and he does, I'm sure if he's to put himself out there and it's just like, you know, I'm, uh, it's like chicken little. It's like all of a sudden that the, the big strong guy who can do so, you know, so many yeah. huge things on a, in a tiny little package, as far as I'm not that saying that, you know, whoa, cut that one out. <laughs> Not we saying that, uh, that he, yeah, I say he's uh, he's shorter than I am, but he's not that short. Um, no, I would say the fun things are in the voice world is being able to convey something from behind a microphone without being seen and being convincible. And right. that's the kind of thing. If I can convince you that I'm able to do, you know, this character and and not have to push that stuff, you know, on the quick uh, bait and all this everything else. I kind of feel like I did my job and that's actually right. the fun thing about voice acting. And there are many, many actors that I work with and I, I have as friends that cannot do it behind a mic. They just can't. It's not the same. It's really not. It's that not having the visuals to convey the character is, is a handicap, but it becomes a, a liberating handicap for the people that can actually convey it. I mean, just the tiny little things that we do with our voices that can convey an emotion. That's all you have when it's a microphone. You can't mm-hmm. cry and be seen. You can't well up. You can't get the little quivery lip. You have to make a sound. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's an insane side of the of the business when it comes to voice acting. And I think it's it's a it's it's full of talent. And and I'm oh, absolutely. You know, so happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But, we've had. You know, a... Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying we've we've had the pleasure of talking with so many different voice actors, and and a number of them have have commented on uh, that that very same thing is that the differences between you know the physical acting and the, and the voice acting, and and how you know physical actors they get to emote and do these things, and you know some voice actors are like, yeah, well we still do that, but you know we still do, you know we're moving our hands, we're doing the things, and he said because that's all part of acting, but we have to do more of it with our voice because we have to make it more believable because all you get to hear or see from us is our voice. And, and then later you get to see something animated and we get to see what yeah. the, what the drawings were and what it looked like, the, what we were voicing. We get to see what it looks like then. He's, um, you know, he says, but and can you imagine that actually makes it a much more difficult thing to actually get a part? Because a lot of people will get a part based off of looks. They may not have the ability to to act uh, as well as somebody else that may not have the look of the, you know, of the character, you know, nailed mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, I mean, yeah, we can we can manipulate our voices and we can change our emotions and all that stuff like that as a voice actor. But it becomes very difficult to get a role as a voice actor based off the fact that it can be, you know, very subjective, super subjective, because all you are is a sound. People are clicking through and they're like, you know, hearing the auditions, uh, that's not what I want to hear at this moment of this day and this and that. Somebody else could have been picked for Anakin. That simple right. as that. 
Well, I'll tell you what, that's a great segue into my next question for you. So let's let's jump onto it. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Star Wars for a moment. And let's talk about the challenges of voicing Anakin Skywalker. Because when you came out and do it, Hayden had already been Anakin. And there was a lot of comparisons between that I've read online between what you did as as uh, Anakin and what he did as Anakin, because that's what people had to compare things to uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So what were your challenges personally for becoming Anakin Skywalker and voicing Anakin, especially when there's already an established character out there? Because in my opinion, um, you know, I don't think that you sound like Hayden Christensen. I don't think you were trying to sound like Hayden Christensen. I think that you were playing your character the way that you saw him. That's my opinion. Uh, I may not be right, but that's my opinion. So I guess the biggest thing is, I guess I'll go, I'll shut up now and stop rambling, is (laughs) what were the challenges of, of becoming Anakin Skywalker for Matt Lucas? And say some of the challenges at the time, you know, were, yeah, uh, the original idea was, hey, we've got a sound of a uh, sound alike um, that we need to to find. And I think when it came down to LucasArts trying to do this, this was not for uh, the micro mini series at the beginning. This this was for uh, a video game, and the idea wasn't that we were going to be doing scenes. The idea wasn't that we're going to be. Uh, developing um, a, a character more than what this game is. We're going to try and see what we can get it out of. Um, and uh, the auditions were all from Hayden from the movie. But it were really short and they were just, you know, kind of one-offs. And he always seemed to be kind of brooding at that point and uh, trying to, I guess, be uh, very sincere and with Padme and, and things like that. So the reference I got didn't have a lot of emotion and, and, I mean, people can say that, you know, even in, in his performances that, uh, you know, he didn't get to those certain points until it was like pushed out of him and this and that. But what they sent me for the sound alike was, you know, a, a very somber monotone kind of a thing. And so I was like, I need to bring a little bit of life to this mm-hmm. in my audition. And I did the lines and I did them very different from what you would have thought because they gave us the exact lines that they had on the sound alike. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a little bit of a risk here and I'm gonna do them a little bit different and put some emotion in them because it's like at this point, if I'm just the same monotone thing all the way throughout, I know I'm not getting this. So I think the, the first challenge was hearing something, understanding it, seeing it uh, on screen very little and trying to create uh, where it could go without being able to understand where it was going to be going and where it ended up when, by the time we got to the mini series, we'd already done uh, three or four games. And at that point I had an idea of where the character was, but I would say right out of the gate being chosen probably was maybe a little bit of a gamble. And a lot of voice actors would probably say that they got their job because they, they, they turned it on its ear a little bit in the audition. And I think that was a thing. So it was, it was a bit of a, you know, I, at the time you're auditioning, you're like, oh, I'm going to get this or I'm not going to get this. And they don't tell you you don't get it. They just don't tell you anything. So you know you don't get it. So I went that little bit and put some emotion into it. Next thing I know, I got called. But they had to pull me back. They said, ah, you're kind of there. Let's see if you come in and you do this other little thing. Can you hit it? And at that point, that's when they asked me basically to hit Hayden right off the bat, which I did for the video games. It wasn't until later on that we they let me be a little bit more Matt. 
And that's probably what you're more responding to, what you finally heard what I came into um, mm -hmm. from the evolution of the character. But I still needed to have a lot of Hayden in there. And you can say I sounded like him or I didn't sound like him. And some people were like, oh, man, you nailed him dead on. I, I hear the difference, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm me. But uh, it's, it was one of the things what Gendy wanted to do was be a bridge, literally, from episode two and episode three. And if you hear, and if you watch uh, the series and, and then all of a sudden go right into scene one of episode three, I tried to hit that one pretty, pretty dead on. I'd like to say I did. Um, even the screams, you know, that we had uh, mm -hmm. between, between Hayden and I, hard to, hard to see which one is, is which sometimes. But yeah, I would definitely agree with the fact that I'm not Hayden. And nor was I. It was like, it was a joke that I was going to make a, a phone call to him as him while we were in the in the booth one of these days and and uh from him from the future <laughs> never materialized <laughs> i was gonna be like listen you know you've uh you've left your keys yeah don't go in there master it's not gonna be good you know he would go <laughs> <I love it. laughs> yeah <laughs> love that. Oh, I love it. I, I love the fact that you took a chance and, and you got it. I, you know, we just we just talked with Catherine Tabor, who voiced Padme in the 2008 series, and she said she thinks that one of the reasons why she got the role is because she called Anakin Annie. You know, yeah. uh, you know, she said it wasn't in the script, it wasn't anything in this. She's like, but I like to ad lib. I like to kind of go off script a little bit here and there. She's like, not too dangerously far off, but. You know, so it's just, it's always kind of interesting. Me. Again, having talked to enough actors and, and voice actors on the show, when they talk about auditioning for things that, you know, a lot of times it's because they put a little something, actually, they put some, something of themselves into the character that made it stand out. You know, something, jump mm -hmm. off the page to the, the casting directors and, and other people who are running the auditions and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's kind of cool to hear that from you as well. Um, you know, it just kind of ties everything together in my brain anyway. Yeah, thanks. No, I, we're all different people at this point. Um, I would like to say, you know, I was just doing Hayden and that's how it was, but it wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be robotically Hayden at that point. So I had to put me into it. And, and because we had completely different lines, completely different things. And it, it was just, you know, the scenes couldn't be compared from one to the next. Until we started to jump, you know, from from you know two to three and get the scene sure. of like we're literally going into the into the fight, and and we had to kind of match. Yeah, and I, and I get that, and I I know you have to do that from time to time, but I'm actually glad that we have the differences uh, in the way that you voiced Anakin, and the way that of course Hayden did Anakin, and the way of course Matt Lanter did Anakin, and and everything else. I think that that allows for appreciation of of each person's individual characteristics and how they do things and. Each one of you brought a different vibe and feeling to Anakin and how it was done. And and I, you know, over the last couple of days, I've been watching a lot of the the, the 2D micro series. And I was watching, honestly, about 10 minutes before I, I jumped on here. So uh, it, it's just a lot of fun to be able to, to go back through that and hear your your take on Anakin. And it's a very, in my mind, it's a very calming take. Um, and I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, your version of, of Anakin is 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 a little more subdued and a little more calmed. Uh, but it has its moments where, um, especially like in the episode I was watching today, uh, there's a, uh, 
the line there where you're comparing, and I'm not asking you to remember the line. Please don't think that. But uh, <laughs> um, there's a line where basically you're telling uh, uh, Obi Wan that he's no Qui Gon Jinn, basically. And and then all of a sudden uh, yeah. it's like I do remember yeah. that line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you you had some some up pitch and then it comes down and then just the, just those nice uh, inflections in your voice and whereas you know. Um, and I think that those are the parts where you really shine, where you had you had just normal everyday Annie and you had your moments where you had the the bursts of little little flame outs of anger yeah. uh, or or emotion come up and then realizing what he was doing. And then you come right back down. And I thought you did. He handled those really well. And so oh, thank just thank you. No, I appreciate that. It's good to hear it. Um, I mean, you read certain things and you're like, oh, man, he was horrible at this. You know, and this it's like, I don't awesome. agree. Everything it doesn't work out. But it was a choice at the time, and and I wasn't the only one making that choice. You know, it's like Candy mm-hmm. was awesome. I mean, he was like he was subdued, but he had he had a vision. And I mean, from Samurai Jack, a lot of that stuff came from there, from the micro series. I mean, there were things mm-hmm. we did in the video games that we didn't touch. You know, when we came into uh, into Clone Wars, and 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 kudos to him. He's a like. You know, he's amazing. And then Dave, uh, you know, who's taken the you know, the role of essentially being the Star Wars guru from here on out, was handed the uh, the reins literally probably by George, you know, he and Favreau are, mm-hmm. are putting this thing together. The two of them, working with them as directors, like I said, I was on um, the, the new Clone Wars uh, series for a while, and it was Dave that basically chose me. It's says, like, you know, I had to re-audition for that. I, I wasn't, it, by any means, was it like, hey, you got this. It was a re-audition. And then, you know, at one point they, they thought to go uh, some other direction. They actually asked me to pull away from doing the Anakin of, of old. And we changed the, the character, you know, and, and, and in the end they ended up going with Matt Lanter and that, that, that's fine. But it's, you're working together with somebody trying to get to that point too. And so it's like, I got to give the credit to the people that were trying to pull it in the right direction. And, um, but we didn't have a lot of different takes on that one. That particular scene, I do remember that recording day and you know, it's like, you're no quad gone gin came out and it was just like, all right, moving on to the next one. And I was just like, okay, next page. There we go. No, that was a really cool line. I was like, Oh boy, he just shot that over the bow. And then anyway, so I know you were very good in that. It was, uh, uh, that you made, you made watching clone wars that, that micro series for me more entertaining. So thank you, sir. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for saying it. So Kathleen wants to say something. You say something. I know you you were in there. I I was waiting. No, (laughs) I was just thinking, because I mean, we talked about the what goes in behind the mic. But as a creative person, as a voice actor, as a director and editor, what advice would you give to someone who is starting out their creative endeavors to help them on their way? Oh, wow. Um, You know, Creativity comes in different forms, by all means, and and so this can I can see this question uh, that can you know put its way into absolutely everything. If you're you know into uh, Legos and and, and architect uh, architecture and things like that, I mean your creative creativity needs to come out. Um, I would just say that uh, just similar. I would echo what I'd said before. Try to learn what you can, uh, and and see what interests you, but also be understanding the fact that uh, there's many ways of doing all of what you're going to do. And so that means that you're not going to be wrong or right when you're trying to be creative. The, the world is going to be what it is, and uh, you're just stepping into you know a part of it. Uh, so don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. You're going to make mistakes. We, why not? You know, as an actor, I made mistakes a whole bunch of times. And it's like, you know, sometimes you can say cut and sometimes you can't, or sometimes you're shown the door, but you still got to try. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say the, to limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. Give it everything you can and just do what interests you. Because in the end, that's how we find each other. It's like people in relationships in their lives are going to continue to live their life until somebody else enters it because they were on the same trajectory. Not, not for any other reason. Yeah. Right. I love the, I love that though, with the be creative, there is no wrong or right with being creative. It's like, there isn't, is there? <laughs> I, I, know think, so many... I mean, there's, there's rules, but right. you can break the rules if you know the rules. So, I mean, I would definitely say that like, yeah, uh, there's the, there's the action line. You respect the action line, but, oh, but when you break the action line, it's very, you know, it throws the, the audience off and it puts them into a different perspective. It's like, you know, we're dutching the camera or things like that, or maybe I'm not going to use the brush that that's right for this particular type style of painting, or, you know, I'm going to go a different route. Um, break the rules, see what happens. I mean, try it like cooking. Cooking is probably the most easily shared creative creative thing we can do from one person to the next it's like you know mm -hmm. you can make an egg a thousand different ways it doesn't have to be this way it could be you know this or that don't use salt throw oregano in there try it see what happens you know it's just like it, it can work it can work it can i love yeah. that yeah. very good it's awesome thank you yep. all right matt we are done with our serious questions and we have one final question for you. We like to call it our silly question. Now, we used to ask mm. a variety of different questions, uh, but we settled on this one for a little while. We might change it up here in the next little bit, but we're still enjoying the responses that we're getting off of this one. So mm, we'll see. Uh, and we started asking this because we thought it was a shame that as an adult, you don't get asked this very much or ever. So Matt Lucas, what's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, favorite dinosaur. I like this one. Um, I, I, and I like this because, uh, you know, with kids books, uh, being as they are, there's always uh, one that comes up and, um, oh man, I want to say, uh, I, I would say, uh, pterosaurs. So uh, I would say anything in the pterosaur family, I'm going to go with just as just could easily say pterodactyl because it's, it's the, the most vanilla of what people know in pterosaurs that, uh, that fly a flying dinosaur. Uh, to me is probably the coolest dinosaur. I mean, yes, being huge as a, as a T-Rex or being, you know, brontosaurus, or you can't say that now anymore. Uh, like all the different uh, evolutions of land-based uh, dinosaurs are cool, but they didn't fly. Right. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think... I would say a pterosaur as, as, as a general, but then again, you have to say pterodactyl because there are so many different pterosaurs. I don't know if you guys have been right, into right. any of the, uh, uh, like in San Francisco, um, uh, I've already forgotten the name of the of the, uh, the Museum of Natural History and things like that. And there's amazing exhibits on all the pterosaurs that were around, tiny little things that have, you know, to what we think are even bigger things. And they're just so cool. Sorry, they can eat and run and fly. There you go. Done. You know what's funny is I don't think anybody's actually said pterosaur yet. Like, no, I, I agree. I think this is the first said. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that. So, I mean, stegosaurus yeah. is cool and all, but they can't fly. No. There are no triceratops, I tell you. Yeah. 
That's my favorite, but you know. See, that's the cool. Parasaurolophus is my favorite, but that's because they have trumpet heads, and that's just ah, oh yes, yes. See the fact that I mean the fact that they are a musical instrument in and of themselves is pretty cool. Yes, and it was the 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 Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto has one, and I think the um the Field Museum in Chicago has it too, where you can like squeeze a bellow through the the model of their head to show how it potentially worked for them to Whoa. make the sound and blow the sound through their own sinuses. And I'm like, that's so cool. That is pretty cool. No vocal cords. It's just sound. Yeah. It's just that they like, they, it was a, a different way of exhaling where they'd push the, the air differently through their, their nostrils. They like yeah. close their nostrils and like push it backward. And it sounded like a tuba. What do you think the conversations were for the people that were just learning how to blow? It's just like, Hey, you're a little off pitch today. A little pitch. <laughs> yeah. Could you could you could you bring out you feeling okay? Feeling all right? You sound a little congested. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm more of a baritone today. I'm sorry. It's just like, yo, tuba. Captain Clarinette over here. How you doing, Mr. Squeaks? You know, it's just like, yeah, I can see how it can be really good. Would the little ones have sounded like clarinets and oboes? And then as they I gotta got imagine as you as you went, you know, through your like your voice cracks as puberty, as as a dinosaur, wow, you so, can put like, yourself in some bad situations. Oh. It sound like a middle yeah. school band concert. It certainly would. Oh man, I'm starting to hear band room right now from from high school. Oh my gosh, it's just. Oh, it's but think of the bad. size of them though. That was a completely different thing. That would be fascinating. <laughs> wow. Oh, Matt, we have enjoyed so much talking to you tonight. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about you and your work? You know, as it uh, was Stephen said earlier on LinkedIn, I'm going to start probably accepting some advice and putting more of the stuff up there. Um, but but uh, I will be at Pensacon. So if anybody is headed that way into Florida, I'm going to be there for probably one of the times that uh, I was at Celebration many years ago um, to, to kind of put forth that uh, Anakin actually had another voice, and that was me. Um, but uh, I'll be at Pensacon, so if anybody would like to come see me there, it's uh, the end of February, and uh, let's say it's going to be it's gonna be a good time. There's going to be a lot of us that you haven't seen for quite a while. Um, it's uh, it's been an event that, uh, you know, 100% uh, is, is always had a following, this and that, but uh, you're going to be surprised of the... The people who are there that you can uh, you can meet and i would say come meet me yeah. it's a good time but uh yeah i'd say uh linkedin is, a, is always a fun one and uh you know that's that's kind of the one that uh, the industry sort of uses and uh, of course my instagram it's uh just matt r lucas so oh yeah okay spell my um, name right though don't forget it's only one t right that's right if yeah. you because if you uh put a second t in there you're trying to figure out why and this english. matt lucas left is became english uh and left the great english bake-off so you know british yeah bake-off. yeah british bake-off excuse yeah. me yes he was also you know running around with the 12th doctor for a while so well there's also that he was also astro boy which well, has been a good thing and a bad thing because people get us confused in the fact that you know Astro Boy was a voice and this and that. And it's just like, hey, did you do Astro Boy? No, that was the other Matt, uh, Matt Lucas. So it's like, I, and I know that 
the two of us are also not the only Matt Lucases. So at least I can say right. I'm the one, I'm the one with the one T. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will definitely link your LinkedIn. That's fun to say. So that our viewers and our listeners can find you. And we will link the the cons website as well. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Thank you. And uh, we just say, well, uh, want to remind everybody that subscribing is a thing. Where this is where we do the self promotion thing and put ourselves out there. Uh, that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help us ensure that we get more amazing guests like Matt Lucas here today to have these great moments uh, for you guys to be able to listen to. So please subscribe, check that out, and uh, go check out Matt's work as well. Um, if you haven't watched the 2D Micro series in a while, go back and watch it because if nothing else, if if nothing else, uh, you've General Grievous is way more intimidating in that series than he oh is in anything else done by Star Wars. It is the best way you're going to see General Grievous, and he actually makes sense as why he was so important to get out of the, the battles uh, that you saw in the 2008 clip. Yeah, but anyway, that's a whole and other why, topic. And why he talks the way he talks. Yes. The series answered so many questions. Don't forget that. It Go did. see it. It answered it... so many questions. It connected dots. It very well did. Absolutely. And uh, there will be parts of this conversation that you think you've heard all of, but I guarantee you haven't. Some of this will be on Patreon as behind the scenes and bonus content. So you're going to want to go to our Patreon channel. Check us out there at patreon.com forward slash FSF podcast, where you can join us for as little as $1 a month, all the way up to $40 a month. There's five different levels of subscriptions. You guys want to check that out. But hey, if for whatever reason you're not happy with the content of our show today, please uh, feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is the man that we make cookies for and Anakin's new master, Emperor Palpatine, or Captain Sparklefingers, or Space Satan, as Ryan Airy from Screen Crush likes to call him. Uh, but one. he has made it clear that he doesn't care anything about you or how you feel or how anyone feels. It's all about Space Satan. So just know that when you submit your complaint form in triplicate, that you aren't exactly out of the line of trouble. Old Palpy will just as easily dispatch you with his underlings as he does us. The only difference is the level of annoyance that we have probably caused him by perpetually being bad at our job of podcasting. So yeah, there's that. And it was nice knowing you. We're gonna die. Good disclaimer. We're gonna, you're so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's gonna wrap us up today for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2024 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com.